Welcome to the Be Make Multiply Send podcast. My name is Matthew Perry, lead pastor of Arapaho Road Baptist Church in Centennial, Colorado. This podcast is a recording from Sunday morning, March the 7th, 2021, as Al Barrera, who is, serves as a church planting catalyst with our North American Mission Board here in the Denver and Colorado Springs area, as he comes to share his testimony, the work of the North American Mission Board, and the hope of the gospel through the local church. I'm glad you stopped by. You'll be glad you did. Would you welcome, please, Al Barrera as he comes and shares with us? Ready to do this again? Do this. Let's do this. All right. So um, I didn't mention this in the first service, and I, I, I have mentioned this in a number of other um, another uh, number of other venues. Um, not only is Al a really good friend of mine, we've been able to get together numerous times in the nine and a half years that I've been here. But honestly, uh, you're a first-rate missiologist. And in case you're wondering what that, whatever that word is, that's a, I guess a 12-letter word. Missiologist is someone that can take the gospel but also understands the trends of the culture and to be able to apply it really well. So I am very, that's why I was very excited to have you and I'm really thankful that you're able to be here with us. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what, because uh, I, I know you weren't always intending on going into ministry, that there were other paths that you thought you were gonna be, that you're gonna have as your life's work. Can you just introduce yourself so people can know who this great guy is up here that's, that's sitting up here and talking to us? Well, you're a poor judge of character, but, um... I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, my name is Al Barrera, and uh, sometimes that comes off sounding like one word, like Al Barrera, like Al Jazeera, but different. Anyways, sorry. Extreme. I know. I'm sorry. Never just, thought about it. That. Just uh, now, you will not stop. <laughs> so, uh, Al Barrera, and uh, um, I am uh, I am a church planning catalyst with the North American Mission Board, and uh, and that was the farthest thing uh, in early days of my life that I had ever thought I'd be doing or could ever conceive of. In fact, I, I never planned on being a pastor of any kind. Um, I actually, uh, out of high school, you know, and I, I'd been brought up in the church. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty, for those that are, that are raised in the church, saved at a young age, it's probably a pretty common upbringing in regard to, you know, being a part of children's ministry, uh, moving into youth group or now I guess student ministry now and um, we weren't that cool then we weren't students we were just youth but uh, um, you know going on on mission trips going to camp doing this doing that and uh, by the time I was about 19 <clears throat> uh, I had a lot of figuring uh, things to figure out I, I had a lot of things going on and wondering was this my faith was this my parents faith and it, it's those things that, that for every kid that's kind of raised in the church they have to wrestle with at a certain point to say is this actually mine do i actually believe all of this um it's so much a part of the culture of the church and and i praise god that i had the opportunities i did at young at a young age um but at a at a certain point my, my dad had said it to me at one point when i was 19 um, he said, this has to be yours. This can't be about your mom and I and what we would hope for you. Although we pray for you, we want this to be yours. Um, we want you to own it. 
and you're going to figure it all out. I just looked back at my daughter sitting in the back corner. Sorry, Holly, didn't mean to embarrass you. <laughs> Way to call we've, her out there. Yeah. No, but we've had these conversations, haven't we? Faith's got to be yours. It can't be just borrowed from mom and dad. So yeah. I, I, I dig it. Yeah, at a certain point it you had. have a good dad. I do. I have a good dad, a good mom, and, and they were both very, uh, man, they were bold in, in saying that. Because what they finally said is, you know, we're not forcing you to do anything anymore. You, you've got to own this. So going to church, you know, that's got to be yours. Um, we're not forcing. And so what ended up happening for me is I took about three to four years um, and wrestled with my faith, just wrestled with it. And in that time, uh, we had, a. I was born in Colorado Springs, but when I was uh, about seven, we moved to the San Francisco Bay area. And so both of my parents were from there. My dad got out of the Navy in the fifties and moved as far away from California and the beach as he possibly could find. So he moved to Colorado Springs in 1957. And, uh, and it was a different place then. Uh, but, uh, we moved from Colorado Springs back to the Bay area. So I was immersed into a culture even then that was very difficult to be a person of faith. And it was very difficult to be able to, to live and feel as if there were others around you outside of the church who might even consider what you're doing or what you're believing to be profitable or, or logical. Um, you know, you, it, and so wrestling with all the things of culture as well as all the things going on in the young heart and mind of a 19-year-old who thought I knew so much already, right? I, I was confident in, in all that I knew because I was a smart guy who was raised in church and went on youth group trips and stuff. And anyways, um, so for three, three years, three to four years, I wrestled, wrestled. And uh, it was, it was in, uh, in that time period that I actually uh, got into an electrical apprenticeship and, uh, and studied for five years to be an electrician. And, uh, you know, you have, you have, uh, there's a whole nother culture involved with that. So, um, you know, the construction industry is its own, it has a reputation in some ways, um, and, and it's well earned, uh, and not, not suffering fools, uh, not a lot of appreciation for, for faith in that environment as well. Um, you know, considering a crutch and a better crutch would be to drink every weekend. And, uh, you know, it makes more sense, right? Anyways, so yeah, this culture that I was surrounded with on all sides, making me truly ask the questions, is this mine? And at the age of 23, I, I had uh, got up on a Saturday morning, or Sunday morning, sorry, um, and uh, had gone to sleep very late on Saturday evening. Um, no plans to go to church on Sunday. Woke up and said, I'm going to church today. First time I'd been to church in a long time. And uh, the Lord just met me there. And, uh, and it was the beginning of a, a process that over the next, well, it's still going to this day, um, where I began to understand the hope that I found in the Lord as, as so much more than what I imagined, dreamed it could be early on in life. Um, and realizing the rescue and restoration that came along with understanding the hope of the gospel. And, and as that took hold, um, it took hold of a, of a now a, a mid-20s individual, so much more knowledgeable than I had been just a couple years before. as a joke. But, uh, but yes, in some ways, uh, definitely more appreciative of, of where the Lord had taken me, where he was taking me into the future. Um, but in all of that, that long story to tell you, no plans whatsoever 
to be in ministry. In fact, probably deeming myself more than anything disqualified for ministry uh, leadership of any kind um, because of some of the, the struggles that I've had. I, I considered it a weakness at that point that I had struggled so long to understand the faith that I now embraced. Um, by 25, 26, um, finishing my electrical apprenticeship, moving back to Colorado, um, feeling as if I was supposed to be back here and not knowing the reasons why, continuing on with being an electrician out here, getting involved with the local church, and then where, where things began to change for me uh, was I began to be discipled by individuals within that church, an intentional discipleship that revolved around far more than just a curriculum. Because oftentimes, discipleship is reduced to curriculum. It's what you learn on a Sunday morning, right? But these individuals started to walk alongside me in my everyday life to see where integration took place between my faith and the friendships that I had at work or the recreation that I enjoyed outside of work. Those type of things all began to play into this so that by the age of 27, I found myself still an electrician and looking at myself, reducing myself in some ways to I'm just an electrician. I couldn't be a pastor of any kind. I'm not even really leading. I'm just helping. Um, with ministry because I'm an electrician. Um, walking forward in different steps of leadership development so that 20 years ago I began ministry leadership in small roles. Um, a, a couple years after that, being handed a ministry within the same church which I was being discipled in where they said you could, you could, uh, you've been actively leading within our college and career ministry but you could lead the whole thing. And looking at myself and looking at them and saying, I'm just an electrician. Hold on. You do not want to put this in my hands. Do you know where I've been? Do you know who I was? Do you know the struggles that I've had? Do you know what, what, what's been going on in this heart? If you did, you wouldn't even come near me with this. And individual after individual came to me and said, you, you can do this. Not because of who you are. Because of who Jesus is in your life and what he has done to mold you and shape you into the person we see and that you don't. And so with that, um, I began to investigate more leadership, filling a direct call into ministry leadership in 2003 um, with the Lord, while I'm terminating a panel at Shriver Air Force Base outside of Colorado Springs. Hundreds of wires, I'm sitting there just it's kind of brain dead work, uh, which sounds dangerous, especially when it comes to electricity, but it really, it's just color to color, number to number, that kind of thing. And uh, so I'm terminating this panel, and, uh, and the thought came into my mind, why can't you be in full-time ministry? And uh, I said, because I'm an electrician. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just a, an impression. And again, same question. Because I'm an electrician was the answer again. By the third time, I answered, well, I don't know why. I don't know why I couldn't do that. So I contacted several friends, pastor friends that I've met and men that I had trusted uh, over the years and just in my development. And each one of them said, we were waiting for this day. And I, I said, well, you were the only ones because I never saw this one coming. And, uh, yeah. and, and the Lord being so good just continued to affirm over the years through the process of, of completing my undergrad seminary, you know, post-seminary work and, and doctoral things and, and, and just watching as the Lord just took this, this kid um, 
and I don't think I can qualify myself as that anymore. There's way too much gray in the beard for that one. It's, a, it's an attitude. It's not age. It's an attitude. Well, I'm going to start wearing my hat backwards again because that's got to be something to do with it. I have, four, <laughs> I have four daughters, and that's where all the gray comes from. And I love them to death. Oh, don't blame it on I'm all totally – yeah, I'm blaming them completely. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know, um, the Lord's so good. And just, to, again, continue to just remind me of the hope that comes in him. And, and the hope that we have in the gospel to take us in directions that we could absolutely never imagine for ourselves. But, but watching God just redeem what was broken yeah. and make it good and usable and moldable. And, and yeah, that's, that's my story right there. Well, you said so much in there. Um, I said the, too much probably. No, no, no. The, the thing that you said that actually gave me chills because it was – it's just so powerful. It's such a powerful thought that it's not what you can do. It's what Jesus can do through you. And that's just got to be a remind. We've got to be reminded of all of that. And, you know, especially when we're talking about, you know, discipleship and then the North American Mission Board, that's really what they're about in, in a number of different ways. Um, I know we had talked about, um, you know, church planning, which when we think of North American Mission Board, I mean, that's what I normally think of because that's just what we hear so much about. But there's other aspects and other avenues of where these gospel presences, they're trying to just plant these different things. Or, you know, well, why don't you t tell us a little bit about what the, the mission board is doing and maybe some of what your role is. Because I, I, we didn't talk about this the first service. You're, you're basically in the – are you South Denver, Colorado Springs? Is that kind of the area of your responsibility? I mean – most of the time, yeah, uh, I do have. Uh, I don't have enough hands. Can I? I can you I get can hold something? Pulpit? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. It's right, um, it's right, it's right there. there. I know. Don't I worry. The I, pulpit <laughs> is right there. It'll be back next Sunday. That's right. Good reminder. Just so you know. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. You know. Church planning does kind of get the headlines with it, right? And and that's that's especially in the West. As we consider uh, in so many ways that you go into areas and, and, and gone are the days when we could think of a parish model of church work where we have uh, one church per city, right? Where it's, it's, oh, we've got the first Baptist church here or we've got this Baptist church of, right. of this town. Um, look around us. I mean, how quickly is Denver Metro growing? You know, and yeah, I, I, I do work mostly south denver uh into aurora so i have arapahoe county oh, douglas county and el paso county but i'm also working with planters that are up in uh um off of east colfax in commerce city which is a little bit longer to, yeah it's a it's a broad area right. um but uh, the bulk of the work is kind of south denver and, and down into colorado springs so that that keeps the travel a little bit less which is is kind of nice and and during our, our times of covid there's been a whole lot more done virtually uh, which is helpful, but for a relational individual like me who likes to kind of be across the table or uh, from a, from an individual, it's tough. You know, it's draining in some ways just to be on a Absolutely. screen all the time. Yeah. Um, yes, the North American Mission Board does concentrate in some ways on church planting, but there's also the revitalization of churches that we, we work with in, in what we would call replanting churches. Um, there's also worth working, and like you and I, when we meet, probably once every three to four weeks yep. um, that, that I work with churches and existing pastors and pastors in, in existing churches, I should say, um, to help and guide and equip and, and to 
to really to encourage more than anything and and to be encouraged as well uh, to be able to say you know the North American Mission Board is about churches churches are made up of people so ultimately we are about empowering people to know and understand the hope of the gospel to be able to say that no matter how small you are or how big you are God can utilize you and that that Churches need to hear that. People need to hear that. I needed to hear that, reflecting back again on my own story. I needed to know. I needed to know that I was usable by God. Amen. And, and that's, that's really the bulk of the message of the North American Mission Board. But beyond that, in the, in the SEND network idea, and SEND is kind of S-E-N-D, SEND is kind of the... the denominational arm pushing into directly impacting lostness across North America. But with that, we have uh, Send Relief, which is the the more of the holistic direct ministry role. That's disaster relief. That's disaster, disaster relief, adoption, and um, fostering. Uh, we work with uh, human trafficking. I mean, there's a number of things that the North American Mission Board is involved with um, all across the nation into Puerto Rico and into into Canada um, that that directly impacts individuals as kind of a precursor to to a direct gospel message. It's bringing the gospel in those in those kind of um, again, if we're thinking holistically, it's the physical touch piece that says, "Hey, we're coming alongside you in all of your needs." not just the spiritual ones because we don't want to reduce ministry to simply addressing spiritual needs. Now that might be the primary, that might be the goal, that might be the, the ultimate mm -hmm. that we're looking for. But beyond that, there's also the physical needs that people need to know we care about them at every level, not just at the spiritual level. Does that make sense? It does. Um, and so the North American Mission Board is working to address all of that, which makes it such an interesting organ organization to be a part of because of that. Mm -hmm. Because people, again, people needing hope. Well, hope comes in a lot of different ways. And the front door to hope may be offering a meal to somebody right. and then finding out what the other needs are right. on top of that. Knowing, again, not ulterior motive. We don't want to look at it as an ulterior motive because ulterior is more self-serving. Ultimate motive is, is bringing people to the, to the gospel message and to bringing people to the cross, understanding that Jesus is their ultimate hope, not one meal today or even one meal tomorrow, but the eternal hope that rests in Christ alone. That's what we're after. So when you talk about the hope of the gospel, you said um, over lunch this past week, and I love this, that our hope is in the gospel, but also in the local church. A couple of things I'd like for you to um, flesh out on that. When we think about the gospel, I was always raised that the gospel, the only purpose that the gospel had was to get you into the kingdom. And then after that, you would go deeper. I think Tim Keller, he said one time that uh, we tend to think rather th that the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. So you're talking about the hope of the gospel and even the hope of the gospel in, in places that already know the gospel. Um, one, why do you believe that the local church is, that, that, that it's an instrument of hope in that way? And two, what is your understanding of the gospel and how the gospel applies to those who already have 
received the gospel. How does that, how does that continue on? So say the first one again. The, I don't remember. I know. No. <laughs> That's not helpful. No, you okay. said, but I, I heard, um, I'm just going to go back to the beginning question. You said that our hope is in the gospel, but our hope is also in the local church. Yes. Yep. Okay, did it come I gotcha. back? Yeah. It I'm, so, I'm so glad. No, 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 that's I'm good. So no, it's good. Back. I'm a little bit slow sometimes. Um, so, I mean, the reality is that, that when we talk of the hope of the gospel, we, we have to understand what the gospel is to begin with, right. right? And the gospel being the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came to reconcile the world to himself, that he came back to save sinners so that individuals would ultimately end up in an eternity with him. But I think it's an understanding that eternity doesn't start when we have passed away. Eternity is already going. You are already in the midst of eternity. That's something that I believe Christians have failed to understand over the years. And I would include myself in that. That I would always be looking towards what's coming next rather than realizing the potential of what's happening right here and right now to bring the gospel to people so that they can understand it in a way that's full and complete. And that we can look at scripture and we can find countless verses regarding helping widows and orphans, regarding uh, the outcast, the disenfranchised. As we look at the ministry of Jesus throughout the gospels, mm -hmm. Jesus met people where they were, addressed needs, but brought the full and complete message of the kingdom of God mm -hmm. is at hand. And so the gospel is simply a presentation to the people around us that would say, hey, don't look off and think only of what's to come. It's not just about, in a simplistic fashion, it's not just about heaven and hell. We understand that there is an eternal reward for those who place their faith in Christ Jesus. That those who would admit that they are sinners believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they would be saved from an eternity of separation from God. We understand that there is the ultimate reality of heaven and hell, of being with Jesus versus being separated for Jesus or from Jesus for eternity. We get that. But it's the reality that your eternity can be impacted today by the truth of the gospel intersecting with your life right now so that again with with that hope in mind we can make it through the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations of today with hope that it doesn't just end with this that 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 this is meaningless in fact i would say that oftentimes it's in the darkest valleys that the hope of christ comes brightest that's right not on those mountaintops where everything's fine and everything's good and and that's a shared thing that we all deal with whether believer non-believer we have times where things are really good we also have times where things are dark and miserable and i think covid has revealed that in a huge way um, for the church as well as for the community around us, um, that there are dark times. There are times of loneliness where, where we're stuck only in the, in, the, in the fragmented realities of our minds that don't see clearly and, in, in fact, see things around us as bleak and dim and meaningless. And we can start to adopt a philosophy of life that says it's all reduced to the dark, lonely times rather than to realize in the hope of Jesus mm -hmm. that even in the darkest of times, there's hope. That even in the darkest of moments, light shines forth. 
And we could see it more clearly in those times. The church being impacted by that reality looks at the community around us not as enemies or not as those who just don't understand, but instead as individuals, as people, not reduced to movements, but as individuals, as people who need the love of Jesus given to them in small little chunks, hoping for the time when God so works in their hearts that they come to you unsolicited maybe and say, what is, why are you always so joyful? Why are, why are, why are you the way you are in a positive way? Why are you the way you are? And that's the moment where you have to, the church has to have the answer to say, this is why I'm the way I am. Because of Jesus, and that's the only reason. It's not because I'm some eternal optimist, but because Jesus came to me in my darkest time, and He rescued me, and He can do the same thing for you. That's what the church can bring. That's gold, brother. That's that's so good. You, um, just real quick, um, when were you in San Francisco? Were you were you doing some church planning in San Francisco at some point in your life? No, I actually. Before I ended up, so I was I was pastoring in Monta Vista, Colorado, and uh, <clears throat> loved it down there. And while we were down there, uh, we planted a church in a, a neighboring town, um, and had plans to plant more and more. And then the Lord, uh, in 2013, put it on my heart to return to San Francisco, yeah, and go back and plant a church. And then over the course of the next two years, and that you have to understand, I never wanted to go back to San Francisco. Ever. I mean, when I moved back to Colorado, I already had a native sticker on the vehicle. I mean, I was already like, and I got here, I got here, and literally the next day changed my plate so that no one knew I had ever lived in California. I mean, it was to the point where I dusted my sandals twice, and I said, hey, I am out. And what? so going back was a huge deal. Well, you mentioned how aggressively antagonistic they were to the gospel. Just, just take just a couple of seconds you seeing that here in denver i am yeah in fact uh, i i thought for quite a few years that that the influence of the west coast um and and either coast we understand this west east yeah um it just kind of works its way into the middle yeah um and and i feel like it's accelerated over time i've i always thought it was about 20 to 25 years behind where california was um in the west coast in general uh and being in San Francisco, it was a, it, it was almost more centralized there because there's more conservative areas of California than right. San Francisco. Right. Um, but being about 20, 20 to 25 years behind, I, I see it now as probably somewhere around 18 hmm. years. And, and I, I have no clear – there's no real objective source of that. It's just kind of what goes on in my mind. But we were, we were dealing with gender fluidity issues um, where you could kind of pick what gender you might be in the mid to late 90s out there and now we're seeing it more nationwide um you know it was it was very common to see things going to first baptist san francisco uh to see things that uh that were incredibly shocking that became very normal it was so normalized in the culture and i won't go into the details of it but yeah i think the influence of it is growing and whether that's um migration and 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 the transplant nature of, of individuals moving here from California, which I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, there's a lot of factors there, but I do think it, it also takes culture and, and transplants that as well, mentality and mindset gotcha. in regard to that. And it, it, I don't look at it as a, as a threat. And I think that maybe from being out there for as long as, long as I was, I was right. out there for almost 19 years. Um, and and uh, I, I think of it in so many ways as it's another opportunity for the church to, to let down the guard and to be able to reach out into the culture in, in new and engaging ways. So that that leads us into, um, you were talking about on Wednesday when we met in Acts 19, 8 to 10, where Paul was in Ephesus. He went to the synagogue, and of course there was an actively antagonistic response to the gospel when they went to the synagogues. And so he went to the hall of Tyrannus, and I thought you brought out some really good insights there that I'd love for you to share with everybody here. And it's talking about, and, and you also brought up, um, not to double up again like I did last time, but castles versus kingdom or silos versus kingdom. Um, I, I'd love for you to share your insights about what you saw from Acts 19 that could be very helpful to us. I think. Yeah. Well, and, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Go to uh, Acts 19 uh, verses 8 through 10. And, uh, and as you turn there, um, yeah, I mean, basically what Luke, the historian, the theologian, uh, is, is passing on in regard to the book of Acts is a continuation from the gospel of Luke, right, where he was wrote, writing to his friend, the most excellent Theophilus, to explain the reasons behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in the book of Acts, Luke, the historian, now documents in incredible detail He's regarded as a, a, an accurate theologian slash historian by secular uh, evaluators that these individuals would look at him and say, hey, he did a great job getting, a, getting across the intricacies of, of what was going on in the world at that time and the impact of the church on that. And so what we have is exactly what Matt just set up in regard to uh, the church in Ephesus in the establishing of the church in Ephesus, as Paul goes to minister, um, we can read what happened. So follow along with me as I read. And he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the, king of, about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So as we look at that text, we have to understand is, is what Paul has done is not withdrawn out of a shrinking fear of the antagonism that was going on. It wasn't that he withdrew because he was afraid of it. It would be very similarly to if, if Matt and I were having this discussion up here and one of you decided to stand up and shout antagonistic questions to us while this was going on. It would be very difficult for everyone else to hear what was being said and it would make it very difficult to pass on teachable moments with that type of antagonism uh, surrounding the conversation. So what Paul did is instead of looking at this as a withdrawal for the sake of of fear or not wanting to deal with it. He took those disciples that he was teaching to a place of quiet, 
to a place where he could devote himself to teaching them, instructing them in what the Lord wanted them to learn. And as he did this, he stayed there for two years. Now we could look at this, and, and this is how I picture it, as, as a, a residency of sorts. Uh, a residency being a, an intentional teaching time where they could spend moments together leading and integrating all that Paul was saying, all that the Lord was teaching them in order for something to happen, which I think is, is one of the most amazing pieces of this. Look again at verse 10. This continued for two years so that, so that with the intention that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I believe that this residency took place for a few different reasons. One of them was so that the word of, word of the Lord and the gospel of Jesus Christ could be taken to all of Asia. And you can interpret this in one of two ways. One, that everybody now heard, audibly heard, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or that everyone now had access to the gospel because it had spread so, so thoroughly throughout Asia that they, they could find local believers. They could find a local church. They could find a gathering of followers of the way who then they could go and say, hey, I've heard this being spoken in the marketplace. I've heard this gospel of Jesus. Tell me, what is the good news that you're talking about? Now, whatever way you want to interpret that, it's really up to you and your time with the Lord. But, but the idea behind it is this. Individuals were trained up to be sent out because we know that Paul left Ephesus. We know that he moved on in his missionary journeys. We know that he empowered the church while he was there. He encouraged them. And that individuals were sent out from the church to reach the rest of Asia. We also know that the church in Ephesus stayed strong, was led. We knew Timothy came and pastored. We know that they raised up elders. We knew that they were able to work together for the furthering of the gospel in Ephesus, in that local church as well. So bringing that back to a more modern context, if you set up a hall of Tyrannus at Arapahoe Road Baptist Church and you trained up individuals and took the time to pour into them to develop them in leadership in gospel ministry, there would be those that would feel the calling of God that would say, I, I need to go out. Uh, God is sending me out. He is calling me out to go here or there much like what we talked about within the North American Mission Board and calling out those to plant churches and replant churches. But there would also be those that would be equipped to stay right here. I don't think you trade one for the other. I think it's a, I think it's a combo platter where we are all training up in one way or another to address our calling for those that are called to minister in this church to minister to neighbors in Centennial, to minister to neighbors and people at work, co-workers, those that we would recreate with, those individuals that are right here. That would be a calling where they could be have it addressed right here in this hall of Tyrannus. That's the power of the gospel. Because what it does is much like in my own life, I had to walk away from the electrical industry. And I'll tell you what, that was a hard thing to do. And it was hard for my wife because she married an electrician. And all of a sudden, I was working on a college campus raising my own support. And I was horrible at it. And she was like, wait, what's going on here? I mean, you know, and, and she had to wrestle with that in her own way. 
because it wasn't just my calling. It had to be her calling as well. This was a both and. And the Lord knew that. As I wrestled with that calling to, to, not, ju- to not stay where I was, but instead to go out, I think that was a very specific calling for me and for others that are in ministry leadership who may be sent out into temporary ministry assignments in other places. But there are those who are called to stay, and they have to be validated for the obedience that they are showing in their calling to stay right here. That's the potential. That's what I see in these verses. Man, it's exciting when you think about it. Is it scary? Absolutely. I, I liked I was a union electrician. I liked being a union electrician. I did. I liked the pay, I liked the benefits, I liked the retirement, I liked all that kind of stuff. But to walk away was what God had called me to do. And to stay in that role would have meant disobedience on my part. And I would rather have risked everything from a comfort position for the sake of obedience. It was, and that was, that was a conversation that Marcy and I had to have. So when, what you're hearing from Al, I mean... What, what is God leading you and calling you in, in your life, in your sphere of influence that you're getting ready to be sent out into? Your friends, your relatives, your associates, neighbors, strangers that you may come across. That's our sphere of influence. That's our, that's our mission field. And I'm very thankful um, for Kathy Peterson, who is our uh, mission team lead. She is actually, we had a great conversation on Tuesday about talking about these bridges that we are able to have and to, to, to try to be able to build to some of these places that desperately need not only a gospel presence, but just a, a group of people to care about them. And that can be a doorway and a gateway into that. Um, in just a few weeks, we're going to be having our Easter services, and I, I'm going to encourage all of you. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to even if you want to just stick around and text the, your one to set up a conversation with them. Um, the, your one. What do I mean by that? Well, everybody that put a little piece of paper up here, there is a name that represents someone that God put on their heart to reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ as part of that who's your one initiative. And maybe God's put somebody on your heart. That's what we can do is to begin to initiate that conversation even this week. But we're, we're missionaries and I appreciate the North American Mission Board where we're not just learning about what they do, but we're also learning about what they can do to be able to help us to fulfill the Great Commission. And I know we're going to be hearing from Wynn Allison in the next couple of weeks because he's, a, uh, he's serving as a chaplain being sponsored by the North American Mission Board. But, uh, yeah, brother, I, I was just curious if you had any other words of encouragement uh, for us as we uh, close our time together. Well, again, thank you for letting me be here with you, and thank you for, um, thank you for hearing me as I, as, I, as I scan the room as I'm speaking. It, I could see that that it makes sense, um, and that that you realize, and this is this is key. You realize that you are part of something great. You have a great church. You have a great pastor, and he is a good friend. Um, this was easy because of that. Uh, but with that, I want to encourage you. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Keep challenging yourself. Keep challenging the, the culture that is around you um, in regard to even this church, knowing that 
that you are increasingly becoming self-aware of the needs that you have and the areas where you can grow. Listen to the Lord in that and trust his direction. And, and I want to I leave you with these verses. Uh, it's from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Those words, let them inspire you to continue moving forward and trust that where God is taking you is better than where you have been. Amen. Al, I appreciate it. Why don't we, uh, I'm going to ask our worship team to come and uh, lead us in a time of commitment. Uh, and as they're coming, let me pray for us. Father, thank you that we can come. Thank you for the words that you've given to Al to give to us. Thank you for your word that has meant so very, very much to us because it's changed us. It's been a game changer for us. Lord, we are grateful for how you have changed Al's heart and how you've changed our hearts. And Lord, you've called us not to simply be a reservoir, but a conduit of your grace and your mercy and your faith. And Father, I pray that as we continue to move forward, that we would be challenged. There may be some here who have never trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, but they see what Jesus can do in the heart to, that is given over fully to him. May, Lord, you rescue us from our sin, from ourself, and rescue us to your purpose through the cross, through what Jesus did in rescuing us from our brokenness. It's only by Christ. But, Lord, there may be others here who are followers of Jesus, but you, you've, you're leading them to to deeper and you're leading them the more you're ready to challenge them may we be ready father to take the gospel to those who need it to our friends our relatives our associates neighbors strangers and to be able to give to be able to help others who have sensed a calling to reach others here in north america may this be the morning father that we would make that commitment as well that we are all in for jesus and that we're ready to make much of jesus as hopeful joyful disciples Guide us in all that we do and say, Father, and may we give our all to you, whether it's coming into the kingdom or if we're already in the kingdom, making that commitment, being ready to engage our one, being ready to engage the sphere of influence that's around us. That's why you've put us there, Lord. We commit our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. For more information about Arapaho Road Baptist Church, please visit arbc.net. That's arbc.net. Or more information about the North American Mission Board, please visit namb.net. That's namb.net. So thankful you're able to be here. See you next time. <music>